Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Democrats were able to pass the American Rescue Plan Act last month using their razor-thin majority in the Senate by utilizing budget reconciliation. Now, Senate parliamentarian ruled that Democrats could use the reconciliation process again if they so choose. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, John and Chris are here to discuss what could be passed as a result of this parliamentarian's ruling. So let's start with some basics for context. The Senate parliamentarian ruled that Democrats can use this reconciliation process again. So what is budget reconciliation and why is the parliamentarian saying that it can be used again? So budget reconciliation is a fundamentally, at the end of the day, a budget process which deals with spending and revenue. So reconciliation is a process that you can only really handle it through those lenses, and you can't really do policy per se on reconciliation. So for example, in the Trump administration, they passed through reconciliation, the corporate and individual tax cuts were done through reconciliation because that is, again, a tax issue. The Biden administration passed the American Rescue Plan because that was a combination of tax and spend issues. We are now looking at proposals that have come out from the Biden administration, the American Family Plan, the American Jobs Plan, and other plans that continue to come out. And one of the options they can look at for passing them is through reconciliation. Again, this would have to be something that is a matter of spending and taxing as opposed to major changes in public policy. It has to have direct effect on revenue in the budget itself. And those are the rules the Senate parliamentarian puts in place. Now, Traditionally and historically, you can only do one reconciliation for every budget that passed. So we're talking fiscal year, not calendar year. However, the Senate parliamentarian's office has said that you can go back and you can amend the last reconciliation, which then does give you the ability to essentially have more than one reconciliation within a fiscal year. So this is obviously sort of a complicated conversation here but does give Democrats the ability to pass more than one package in a fiscal year using 50 votes in the Senate. So every Democrat voting for something, plus the vice president to break the tie and a majority in the House in order to pass this versus what normally happens in passing legislation that you need 60 votes in the Senate. With what the Biden administration has been proposing, They are not saying necessarily use a reconciliation process to get there. They're very interested in using this group called the G20, which are made up of 10 moderate to to somewhat more liberal Democrats and 10 moderate to somewhat more conservative Republicans to also uh, get a package passed providing those 60 votes. Yeah, the Section 304 that Chris is referring to that the parliamentarian said that they could actually amend the budget resolution has never been used before. 
and the administration is looking to do some very big things. And they've proposed a number of different items in a bucket, if you will. So there's an infrastructure bucket, and then there's a human capital bucket. And then there's even talk of perhaps a third bucket. But these are just ideas and and sort of bite-sized pieces that the Congress will eventually have to figure out how to package it and how many adjustments or use of reconciliation is uh, feasible. Now, while it only requires 50 votes plus the, the vice president, finding 50 votes to agree on anything, Chris, maybe you could tell people about a conversation that you were part of. Yeah, recently we were talking to Senator Schumer's office, the majority leader of the Senate, so in charge of the Senate Democrats, and the conversation was entirely healthcare specific. And basically the, the feedback we got is they really are trying to hear from the overall membership of the Senate right now and no decisions on what is going to move forward in a reconciliation package or even outside of a reconciliation package when it comes to healthcare has been decided. And that's because you have to build consensus holding all 50 Democrats together. And I use the word Democrats loosely because even people who aren't Democrats like socialist Bernie Sanders or truly independent Angus King and culturally conservative Joe Manchin all need to come to a consensus on what that package looks like. And, And that's just to get the Democrats together. If you're trying to pass a piece of legislation without using reconciliation, you then also need to have 10 more Republicans agree with that. In terms of an infrastructure bill, both Democrats and Republicans have traditionally been in favor of infrastructure, right? Roads, bridges, the definition of infrastructure has been widened uh, quite a bit. If it were a traditional infrastructure package, they could do that tomorrow. And in fact, Republicans are preparing to present their own version of a reconciliation very shortly. But even if you agree on a traditional infrastructure package, how to pay for it is where it becomes very partisan. I agree. I think that's actually the hardest part of all is how to pay for it. I think even if, as John says, stick with more traditional bridges and tunnels and roads infrastructure, there's going to be disagreements on how to pay for it. For example, in the Biden administration's American Job Plan proposal, which is uh, more on the traditional infrastructure side of things, in order to pay for it, they are talking about putting in a 28% corporate tax rate. Well, already you've seen amongst Senate Democrats, no consensus on getting to 28%. And really there only seems to be currently a willingness to go up to 25 from the current 21%. Obviously to bring Senate Republicans in, you have to then start asking the question, are there other places people are willing to raise revenue from? things like user fees, other areas like that. And I think that's also going to be true for the Democrats of how you make up those other three percentage points in corporate taxes. Where are the other revenues for these ideas going to come from? And the numbers are so large. Look, both sides have been guilty of spending a lot of money, but now it's in that we're talking about trillions and states actually have a lot of excess dollars from past bills that have gone unspent. And some of them are eyeing those funds for perhaps infrastructure on their own. So I guess our point here is that while we don't know a great deal about what the specifics are, there's no legislative language, this process is going to be hard and it's going to take time. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with John. It's going to take some time. And the Biden administration is continuing to put out proposals. So we've seen the American Jobs Plan. We're expecting the American Families Plan. There's possibly more plans coming out. And as the administration puts out proposals, it doesn't seem clear to me that Congress is actually going to take them up in the structure the Biden administration has taken them out. There might be ideas in the American Jobs Plan that get included, the American Family Plan that get included. Congress could decide to put them into one large package, multiple packages, moving some of these on their own without using reconciliation. So how Congress actually does it, I think, is something that's going to be left up to considerable amount of discussion in the next weeks and months. I also think when you look at what the Biden administration has put out, they're often very broad principles without a lot of details, and Congress is going to need to fill in those details. So there may not be a consensus on a package or how a lot of these ideas will be packaged as of yet. But as of right now, from what you're hearing, what sort of health care provisions are many Democrats looking to include in a potential future package or packages? So one of the potential topics that is very hot now is prescription drugs. And we expect Congress to, in the House, reintroduce H.R. 3 from last Congress. And this was Medicare-negotiated drug prices in both the Medicare market and employer market bill. Uh, We expect that to be reintroduced by the House. It is very possible that the Biden administration will also put this health care piece into one of its packages that it is sending out to Congress. So that would reduce prescription drug costs. One of the things that when you reduce prescription drug costs is that becomes a revenue raiser for Congress. And so then the question becomes, what does Congress spend that money in? Congress traditionally likes to spend money in the category it came from. So if you raised revenue within healthcare, they tend to want to spend money in healthcare. You've seen proposals by the Progressive Caucus and Bernie Sanders to spend that revenue in lowering the age of Medicare. It is not clear quite yet if that will be something that's going to be in the Biden administration proposal, but is in the Bernie Sanders and the Progressive Caucus proposal. You've also seen conversations to use that revenue to make the money that was put in the American Rescue Plan for increased subsidies under the ACA to no longer having the subsidies drop off at 400% of poverty, now going to a 8.5% measurement on uh, how much you spend on healthcare from your income to make those things permanent, or and I say permanent in, in air quotes because it really means 10 to 15 years, but much longer than the American Rescue Plan's two-year package that they currently exist. So those funds might go into paying for that in another package moving forward. I've also heard about increasing benefits in Medicare, including hearing, vision, and dental. There is definitely a large push of those who are interested in the Medicare universe of picking up those areas that they feel Medicare has lacked, which is those vision and dental pieces that Medicare does not cover. And so you've seen Republicans react to this with H.R. 19, which was a package of bipartisan bills on prescription drug pricing that had bipartisan support that they put forward into one bill. I think we'll see H.R. 3 be reintroduced into the House shortly. As John mentioned, the Republicans have put out their alternative in the House. I expect in early May that we will see the first hearing on these bills in the Energy and Commerce Committee. I suspect H.R. 3 will look rather similar to the H.R. 3 House Representatives of the past last Congress, 
Does Congress try to move HR3 standalone on its own? I think they might want to save it again so that it can be revenue for other areas. I think there's also real questions of what the House Democrats passed in last Congress on prescription drugs, if it would have a chance of getting past the Senate in its current form. I think that is much more questionable. Again, the Democrats only have 50 votes over there. The Senate previously had been much more interested in a bill that the Senate Finance Committee had been working on in a bipartisan basis that would deal with Medicare only in prescription drug costs. That's a bill that we are also very interested in. Does obviously lower prescription drug costs and create some savings that Congress would be interested in. However, does not create as much savings. And we do have concerns that if you only reduce prescription drug cost in the Medicare arena, will there be shifting in the pharmaceutical world to make up those costs within the employer-based economy? And that those of us in employer-based plans, will we be paying more for prescription drugs because we've lowered the cost within the Medicare world? If Democrats do successfully pass some of these measures in reconciliation, what does it mean for future Congresses? Do you think Republicans would seek to do the same thing if they gain a majority next Congress? Yes, I do. They've had a history of that, right? If one side does something, then the other side tends to do it too. That's why the Senate, who is so steep in tradition, are so reluctant, even on the filibuster, to change the rules. Because once you do that, they know very well that power changes from one party to the other. And what I do unto you, you can do unto me. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen this, for example, the reconciliation that was done during the Trump administration on taxes. That was a one-party operation. Reconciliation doesn't not have to be a single-party operation. It doesn't take very long to go back where you see reconciliation packages that were being passed on a bipartisan basis. They were still not necessarily large votes, but you had different coalitions of Democrats and Republicans being the 52 votes to get a reconciliation bill passed in the Senate. Often, these packages in the past were done much more in an effort to reduce the deficit, which was sort of their original purposes from Byrd and others who helped put reconciliation into practice in order to allow Congress to quickly reduce spending and raise revenue without needing 60 votes to help better bring the deficit under control. But now these have turned into much more partisan operations. And so we've seen, if you look at the ACA package, the Trump tax cut packages and others, that reconciliation is much more of a partisan exercise as opposed to a bipartisan. And so I don't see that things would particularly change. Now, having said all of that, There are issues that they are working in a bipartisan fashion. So for example, telehealth. Every time you mention telehealth, you get a lot of smiles on both sides of the aisle. In fact, the Ways and Means Committee is about to host a hearing on that subject. I was on a call today with a member of that committee who thinks that this is an area where they can work together. Yeah, I agree. Congress is looking at several healthcare initiatives that would not go through reconciliation, partly because they are very policy heavy, telehealth being one of them, health equity being another. And so I think those sorts of issues, because they are policy heavy, can't go through reconciliation very easily. But they are also things that don't need to because there's still a lot of bipartisan interest in getting them passed. And I do think telehealth is something 
that this pandemic, if there's any silver lining to it, has really demonstrated uh, can be part of the healthcare apparatus. I think we still have lots of questions that need to be answered before moving forward. But some of what we've done with telehealth, hopefully we can make more permanent so that people can more easily access uh, their healthcare apparatus, particularly in areas that it's not easy to visit a doctor, either in rural America or parts of urban America that are lacking healthcare infrastructure. Telehealth really does open doors for Americans to get the assistance that they need. Yeah, I think and broadband is, in fact, I heard Republicans talk about broadband within the context of infrastructure was never a part of that before, but it's part of the world today. Telehealth is great, but you got to have connections, right? You got to have broadband. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting a return to business as usual in terms of the capital opening up, the fences coming down, and perhaps that will spur greater bipartisan interaction. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.